the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hello. Um, my name is Simon Richards. I'm uh, one of the. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus, and I'm uh, also. Uh, one of the leaders here at the church. A very, very warm welcome to you this morning. It's my joy to teach us from the Bible this morning, and we're going to be taking a look at the book of Genesis. That's where we're off to uh, this morning. So let's, uh, let's start with a Bible verse. Let's begin with uh, the verse that we've heard already this morning, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, uh, the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just log that one. We're not going any further. Psalm 19 and verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Hold those two uh, in your mind. The skies and the heavens declare the glory of God. They've been declaring a certain kind of glory uh, this morning as you've arrived through the very, very heavy rain. Uh, Well done for making it and being with us uh, this morning. Now, now, uh, question for you. Did you know, did you know, or or more a fact, uh, at least let's go home with this one thing. There are two species of elephant. Two species of elephant. There are um, 29 species of uh, rabbit. There are 3,000 species of snake and 50,000 species of spider. Oh, there you go. I learned something at church today. Um, <laughs> take a look at this uh, picture. But beetles, beetles, can I have... Have a look. Just have a look. Take a glance through. Henry really enjoyed just trying to pick out which one was his favourite. Have a look at your, your beetles there. Have a glance through. Can anyone guess for me um, how many species of beetle they are? We said two elephants. Uh, we said uh, 29 rabbits, uh, 3,000 snakes, 50,000 spiders. How many species of beetle? A million. That's massively over the top, Andy. But, um, but I, asked, I asked for a guess. Um, thank you. That's great. That's great. 380,000 species of beetle. Take a look at that. And I distinctly remember going to the Oxford Natural History Museum, seeing an amazing collection of beetles, something like that. And next to it was a quote. A quote by... A socialist Marxist atheist who I think's bang on. And I want to share it with you. I want to share it with you. Here's, here's his quote. This is J.B.S. Haldane. He was a 20th century British Indian scientist. He was a geneticist, a physiologist, and an evolutionary biologist. Someone once asked him, and he's by no means a friend of Christians, of the church. Someone once asked him, If anything can be known about God by looking at creation, 
someone asking this atheist, Marxist, uh, socialist, scientist. And his response was, God, if he exists, he has to caveat it, is inordinately fond of beetles. <laughs> he is inordinately fond of beetles. And I think he's just bang on. He's absolutely right, isn't he? He's absolutely right. He meant it, of course. He meant it as a zingy insult to Christians, to the church, to say, how silly, how childish, how laughable. It's not an insult. Just take a look. Take a look. Uh, Creation reveals its creator. This amazing diversity, this wonderful splendor, the intricacies that we see at root, they have come from a good God and a good creation. That's the kind of thing that we want to take a look at uh, this morning. Today we're going to take a look at the creator and his creation, this well-ordered, beneficial, beautiful, teeming with life place. It's goodness and the goodness of the one who made it. That's where we're going this morning. I hope you're excited about that. Now this comes as part of a new series we are working through an overview of the Old Testament. And we're beginning this journey today, obviously with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to take seven Sundays to focus upon some of the key themes and aspects of the Old Testament. You can see them listed there. Creation, Abraham, Exodus, David, prophets, gospel, psalms. And the way we're doing this, the way we're going to structure it, is just going to take seven key sentences in the Old Testament and talk them through and try and explain some of the big ideas going on in the Old Testament. We kicked off last week with that question, why read the Old Testament? And we had to concede, didn't we, that it is a tricky book, that it's a tough book. Uh, There are plenty of blockers for modern eyes and modern ears in coming to the Old Testament. Yet at one and the very same time, this book, the Old Testament, is the Bible Jesus read. That's the reason we want to engage with it. That's the reason we want to study it hard. That's the reason we want to absorb it. And because we want to get to know him better, we want to get to know Jesus better. The Bible, the Old Testament, were the stories that Jesus heard as a child. These were the songs Jesus sang. These were the scrolls that were read every week in his synagogue. These were the prophetic visions that had given hope to his people for generations. And this is the source text where Jesus found out who he was and what he had come to do. So to summarize all of last week, you could catch up with it uh, online, via podcast or YouTube. But to summarize it all, we're saying this about the Old Testament. See whether you agree with this. The more we get to know the Old Testament, the closer we're going to come to the heart and mind of Jesus himself. So now follow this bit closely. If that's true, then we want to discover how creation, Abraham, Exodus, David, prophets, gospel and psalms, influenced, shaped and formed Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to see how this book, the Old Testament, was read by, cherished by and absorbed by the Lord Jesus. That's what we're up to in this series. 
So let's come back to that first verse. We won't um, read the whole of Genesis again, Genesis chapter 1 again. Uh, Let's just stick with that first verse. You might want it in front of you in your Bible or on your phone. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And our first step really is just to begin in the right place, not with creation, not with ourselves, but with God. In the beginning, God. That's how the Bible starts. Our first steps in Genesis need to begin neither with creation nor with ourselves, but with God. And we're so quick to jump into the weeds, aren't we? I've made, in the, in the course of the last two decades, the journey from atheist to Christian. I know what it's like to get stuck in the weeds of creation, to get caught up in our present-day controversies over how long things took or by what processes they have uh, emerged. Let's not miss this fact then, straight out the gate. The Bible begins with God. God is creator, maker, designer, and yet so much more than even that. As we were reading Genesis 1 and Genesis And to the beginning of Genesis 2 this morning, you'll have spotted the following. Whoop, sorry. God creates, verses 1, 21, and 27. God speaks, verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 29, 22, 24, 26, 28, and 29. He sees, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, 31. He names, Five, eight, and ten, he separates, think orders. Verse four, six, seven, fourteen, he rules. Verses 26 and 28, through his creation. He delights, just chock up all of those goods and very goods that you've seen. Verse four, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, 31. He blesses, 22, 28, and chapter two, verse three, and he rests, verses two, and three. So I take it this morning, because we've got to concede that those controversies are there. I take it this morning that whether you would consider yourself to be a young earth creationist or an old earth evolutionist, hey what, you've got a great deal more in common. Look at this. You believe in the God who creates, speaks, sees, names, separates or orders, rules, delights, blesses and rests. You have so much more in common than small things, not unimportant things, but smaller things that might tear us apart. The church leader and pastor kind of name for that is how do we do well theological triage? You work out what's important and what's less important, and it's unite around the main things. And there they are on screen at the moment. Now, if you were trotting up to university this week and it was your genuinely your first day on campus, perhaps that's you here this morning or at least campus might be feeling new, you might be looking for something like this. You might be looking for a map. A good map can really help you out. And even more helpful when there's one of those nice big red dots, we love those on our phones, don't we, that just are telling you Not just this is a map, but you are here. 
And this is what Genesis 1 does for us. It helps us out in telling us our place in the story and knowing the story we're in. It's going to help us out with you, as in who we are, and it's going to help us out with here. Where are we? So perhaps let's start with here from Genesis 1. If you want to locate yourself in the big story, you need to ask the question, where are we? How do we answer here? What's here like? Here is the world of God's making. Genesis 1 underlines very clearly both the the goodness of creation, verses 4, 10, and 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31, and the contingency of creation, its dependency upon God. That's where you are. You are in the good world made by God that depends upon him for its daily existence. I spend a great deal of my time preparing snacks for the boys. I pretty much measure my life in uh, little plastic pots of snacks. Uh, I can almost barely make it from the kitchen before I'm going back to make more peanut butter toast. The Lord provides for us all, all of the time. The very fabric of the world, everything going on right now, just depends upon him. Well, it's going to help us out with here, and it's also going to help us out with you, as in, who are we? You are here. It's it's helped us with here. We're in God's good world. It's going to help us out with you. Who are you? You and I are made in the image of God. Verses 27, 26 and 27 of Genesis. Not just good, but very good. You and I are given work and vocation. Sorry if this is a disappointing find for you, but work is a good thing in the Bible. It's a bit of a, a, a British stumbling block to reading scripture, that one. You and I are given work and vocation in the Bible. The tasks of being uh, fruitful, filling, subduing, and ruling, verse 28. Creation is going to require, effectively, the extending of the garden, being involved with our sleeves rolled up in the development of culture and civilization, such that your day-to-day matters to God. Genesis 1 and 2 show us our place in the big story and they answer those key questions that all worldviews have to answer. Where are we and who are we? Now I've said that sadly we can often get stuck in the weeds of Genesis 1 and 2, get stuck about focusing on how long creation took and the processes by which creation came about. I myself have wrestled with these as a As an atheist physicist and being then intrigued about Jesus, I have to go through those. They're not unimportant, but they just need to be treated with care and consideration so that we know and we hold the worship of God who creates, speaks, sees, names, separates, rules, delights and blesses in common. The God who creates things good and very good and who makes us in his image, giving us our very own work and vocations to pursue. But of course, this map isn't perfect, is it? We have to ask that next question, which is, uh, what's gone wrong? Now here, you probably know where I'm going. And that's why I want to uh, surprise you. You might think that I want to talk next about uh, sin. 
about the fall, about how things have fallen apart. But this morning, all we've read is Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So to truly answer that question, what's gone wrong? Nothing yet. Nothing yet at all. God's creation is good. It's not bad. It's good. God's creation is very, very good. If you've been reading along in Genesis 1 and 2, following the biblical references, nothing has gone wrong yet. If anything is original, it's not sin, it's goodness. It's God's goodness. If we be truly accurate, technical, correct with our language, original, origin, beginning, if anything is truly original, it is goodness. We will be misheard by culture if, if people only ever hear original sin. We believe in original goodness. The word good is an amazing one, and it appears all over Genesis. Check this out from the Whole Life uh, Bible. This is a quote from Anthony Billington, who's written this book, and I found it really helpful just getting us back into, and not moving on too quickly from, God's goodness. The fact that the word good is applied to stars and seas, trees and turtles, suggests something more than moral goodness. Think good in the sense that Genesis 1 itself implies a well-ordered, beneficial, fitting, beautiful, teeming with life. Just picture those beetles, everything in its good place, from the intricate parts to the immense parts. All of it is good. Nor is the goodness of creation to be limited to nature. Human society and cultures are all embraced, all given the label good. The goodness of work and marriage affirmed uh, as spheres in which we may serve God. The architect at her desk, the baker in his kitchen, the mother in her home, the teacher in his class, the husband and wife in their bed, all of it good. For Christians, Genesis 1 and 2 is a reminder that on the first page of the Bible, our faith is world-affirming that we may delight in the goodness of God's created order. I take it that's why your eyes all lit up at that picture of the Beatles. Everybody's having a look, yeah, oh, I like that one, I like that one. It's good, God's created this world uh, good. Only in Genesis chapter 3 do we begin to get to what's gone wrong. It's fascinating, of course, to see where it begins. It begins in Genesis chapter 3, if you know the story. Uh, with doubt and uncertainty over the trustworthiness and the goodness of God, then it moves just carefully on to how someone might contemplate and visualize what it means to go against God. And then it moves on again as good desires are then misplaced, misoriented. And then, of course, there's that almost instinctive moment at which you actually do it. You pull the trigger, you lose your temper, you eat the apple, whatever it may be. And then, of course, that next step where the consequences of that are just shared out through relationships, uh, vertical and horizontal, everything being affected in all aspects of life, all aspects of our world. We've seen already this morning as we prayed for... Um, situations at work in the world that all is not right and then also 
as that spreads out through time, society, and history. Well, what's the solution? Uh, the solution really is the rest of the story and the rest of the tale and story and the winding story of Scripture that leads its way to the Lord Jesus. And so we've made it the task of everyone in this series to try and then grapple with how the Old Testament has influenced Jesus. And here's where I want to to land us, really. How did Jesus read Genesis? What did he think as he thought deeply on creation and its creator? We want to ask the question, how does Genesis influence and shape the heart and mind of Jesus? Getting lost on my slides there. Um, Here's what uh, Jesus has to say about Genesis. We know that Jesus quoted to and alluded to Genesis throughout his ministry. He quotes it directly, quoting Matthew 19 and verses 4 and 5. He says, to those who are listening to the teaching of Jesus, he's talking about the Old Testament, and he says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus is quite happy quoting Genesis and picking it up in the controversies of his day, which presents us with a significant thing to think about too. Yet there's so much more to Jesus' knowledge of the Old Testament than merely uh, quotes and allusions, and there are a significant number of those. Just check out uh, this uh, image here. This is uh, a data scientist who's studied the intertextuality of the Bible. This is your cross-referencing in your Bible mapped out. Just look at that. The way in which it's interweaved, the Old Testament is connected to the New, and so on. There's so much more to Jesus' knowledge of the Old Testament than simply quotes and allusions to it. He's absorbed it. Jesus clearly believed that we've all played our part in the continuing sin problem. Here's the way he puts it. He says, I've not come from the healthy, but for the sick. Here's another way he puts it. Let him who's without sin cast the first stone. We all know the implications of that. None of us are without sin. Jesus sees us like Genesis 3 does, the broken and marred image of God in need of rescue. But even more than that, Jesus sees that this is an unfolding story. Jesus knew his Old Testament like you, not just like you might know your multiplication tables or the list of the kings and queens of England. Jesus had a deep and comprehensive grasp of the storyline, the plotline of Scripture, the expansive themes, the narrative plotline, the entire plot of Scripture is structured around this movement from creation to new creation that influenced and shaped Jesus. Jesus is going to understand his own life, death, trials, and resurrection as, in fact, starting a new creation. You don't get more influenced by Genesis than that. He thinks that by his death and resurrection, he's opening the way back to Eden. Eden regained, somehow bigger, larger, more, uh, more extensive now under the auspices of the kingdom. But I thought, 
You all love the, uh, the pictures of nature so much, we would uh, conclude with that. Can I just show you this? If Jesus has been influenced by creation, then uh, how's it going to apply in his life? Watch this. What did Jesus think about as he looked at creation? Because clearly he, he was an embodied person like you and I, and he looked around and he thought deeply. Here's maybe uh, what uh, Jesus thought. Jesus was once not talking about creation, actually. He was talking about something completely different. He was just giving some of his teaching. And it was about a worry and anxiety that might describe uh, you in your situation at the moment. And in order to bring calm and heart peace to those who are listening to Jesus, watch what he does. Jesus, talking to his friends, trying to bring calm and peace in their hearts, says, Look out at creation. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father uh, feeds them. As Jesus looks at the birds, and he did do that, he saw God's attentive and fatherly hand over this tiny, small part of creation. God feeds the birds. And watch his next move. If he's so taken care of that small part of creation, won't he take care of you? Are you not much more valuable than the birds? The answer, of course, is yes. Of course you are. Now, if you don't have the foundations of the Old Testament in place, you may see beauty out in creation, you may see wonder, but you aren't going to see the personal, fatherly, attentive hand of God. He does the very same thing uh, with the flowers. See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more uh, clothe you? As Jesus looks at the flowers, and he did do that, and what does he see? He sees God's attentive and fatherly hand in clothing the flowers. Watch his next move. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? If he cares for and looks after this small bit, won't he care for and look after you? Of course, if God looks after the flowers, he will look after you. That's just Jesus arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, when you're out there in the world and you're looking around you, pay attention, see what you can see, see how God cares for this small part. Does he not much more care for you, his image bearer? We live our lives in the attentive and fatherly hands of God. How does this influence you? Does this affect your day-to-day, your week? How has Genesis 1 not just shaped Jesus? How does this shape and influence you? We're going to leave it there. I'm going to pray and we are going to sing uh, to to our creator God. We're going to sing a beautiful name. Uh, Would you be able to uh, stand with me? And and the band are going to come up.
let's, um, let's draw to a close uh, this part of the service and, and move into sung worship with this scripture uh, referencing uh, uh, Genesis. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good, good world that you have made, that you have spoken it into existence. We are so sorry when we have our heads down, uh, focused on ourselves, not looking out at the amazing world that you have made. Thank you that not only have you spoken creation into existence, but by your word you speak into hearts today. We pray as the scriptures pray, shine in our hearts, Lord, uh, that we might uh, see you for who you are, that you might bring us uh, light, we pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask that